Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Billion Dollar Babies is the sixth studio album by Alice Cooper. It was released in 1973 on the Warner Brothers record label. It was produced by Bob Ezrin. The album became the biggest selling Alice Cooper record at the time of its release. It hit number one on the album charts both in the United States and in the United Kingdom and went on to be certified platinum. This was the, I believe, second to last record with the original band before Alice Cooper became just. Alice Cooper, but this is when it was still a band. On the other microphone today, we have a Toastmaster, a sometime starting out stand-up comedian. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for Andy Hyten. Hi there, Derek. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Pretty good, thank you. Andy, how did this album, or how did Alice Cooper enter your life? <laughs> I was guessing you were going to ask me that question, Derek. I think probably for a lot of people of our age... Let's not reveal our ages. Uh, it was watching The Muppet Show, which I recently discovered it was in 1978 when uh, Alice Cooper uh, appeared on The Muppet Show uh, in season three, because I now got the DVD of it, uh, and he performed Schools Out. And even to little seven-year-old me, I was kind of blown away because it was very different from the other guests who I had seen on The Muppets. As I grew a little bit older and a bit more curious, I got myself a copy of the single of Schools Out, and it was a double A side. It's probably a re-release, but it was a double A side with Schools Out and Elected on the other side. And around that time, me and my friends, we would start, uh, we would borrow records from the library. I don't know, but was that possible in the States to like kind of go to the, you know, like the lending library with books and stuff, but they also have vinyl that you could take out for a week or something. Mm-hmm. So we obviously, because Alice Cooper was one of those sort of few bands at the beginning of my musical learning odyssey that I recognized. So we start, kind of went through them. The two that I really remember, and it's probably because of the covers, was um, Billion Dollar Babies and also Alice Cooper Goes to Hell. So it would have been in the early 80s when I first heard the album. I have a kind of a similar story. So I do remember seeing Alice Cooper on The Muppet Show. And it's funny, I was in New York. I was living in New York in 2002, I think it was. And I went with my girlfriend at the time to the uh, television uh, history the history of television museum, something like that. And you could check out and watch something in the plate, like out, like anything that they had available in their, in their library. And I can't, there was something else I wanted to watch that they didn't have at the time. I think somebody else had it. So I ended up watching the Alice Cooper <laughs> on the Muppet show uh, in 2003 in the, at the TV, whatever it was in New York. But I do remember that. And Alice Cooper was somebody who I came back into when I was in high school because I was a high school metalhead. And I was listening to a lot of the current stuff. And at that point, Alice Cooper had had a bit of a resurgence, even though he put out a, a couple of really terrible records, which I don't want to talk about. Uh, before that, he had one that was kind of on the way back, which was Raise Your Fists and Yell. From there, I just started listening to some of his older stuff and 
when I started collecting vinyl years later, the first thing that I got was Alice Cooper Killer. Billion Dollar Babies I got uh, on vinyl with the original Billion Dollar Bill, and this has just long been uh, a favorite of mine for uh, for Alice. And I'm a big Alice Cooper fan, especially from this this mid-70s period. So before he went solo, uh, like the first album or two are, are, are okay, but I think when he really hit his stride, there's three or four just really great sleazy glam metal records that are not glam metal but glam records kind of heavy hard rock records and this is uh this is one of them uh so one of the things that i've been doing on this uh on this first season is talking about album openers and uh trying to classify the first song on the album uh we have the call to action uh, we have the blueprint there's the teaser and then there is one other one, which I can't remember, and it's not a part of our conversation today. So I'm going to just go on and say, uh, so side one, song one, hello, hooray. For me, this is a call to action opener. This song opens like it's the first song, just the sound of the guitar. Uh, it's just, it's big. It almost sounds like a show tune. It has that it's introducing the characters and the cast kind of feel about it. And I mean, it's called Hello, Hooray, uh, and how else could you open up a, a record but with that particular phrase? Uh, I really like it. It has just this um, slightly cheesy quality to it, but it's fantastic. I just I love the song. I love how it opens. Uh, what about you, Andy? What do you think about this one? So, uh, you, you, you've taken the words out of my out of my mouth, Derek, but then. Knowing that we were going to be having this conversation uh, today, I listened again to the album a couple of times before our conversation. And I've got to say that the song that's stuck in my head is actually uh, Hello, Hooray. Maybe it's it's very anthemic. And, and I can imagine I've, I've got I've, I've got a thought about the whole album, but maybe that will come later. But fully, yeah, it's a great opener. And also it almost kind of got me thinking when I listened to this album again not so long ago, that it's almost a whole, it seems as if it's the beginning of a whole concept album. You know what I mean? Like as if the whole album really is going to be, maybe there's no breaks between the songs or something, and it's going to be like a whole kind of rock opera. And yep, I've been humming it to myself for at least the last couple of hours. Uh, yeah, I can see that. And I thought when I first started doing stand-up, I had made a playlist of songs that I would like to walk on stage to, because I think walk-on music is just the coolest thing ever. Hard to pull off, uh, because you don't have as much time as you think you do to get to the stage. But one of the songs on the playlist was this, because it just sounds the whole opening. And I can't remember if I ever did it. I think maybe once I gave it a try, and then just doing the, then I would say hello and hooray kind of thing. So yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic opener. And it does, it does seem like it sets it up where, you know, is this going to be a concept album or not? It proves not to be, but uh, it does give you that hint that it could be. Also, I wonder, it would be interesting to see the playlists from the next few years after the release of this album and if they were actually opening shows with that song for the next few years. That would be something to check out because I know that's easy to find these days. There's the uh, like playlist.com or something like that. You can find a, almost any playlist from any show. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. I'll have to check that out. So then that's going to bring us on to track two, which is Raped and Freezing. What do you think about this one, Andy? It's the first of the songs on this album, I think, which is out there to shock the parents without them even 
wondering what the lyrical content of the song might be because if we go into it it's that maybe the concerned parents of of the western world would be thinking Alice Cooper the or the singer like Alice is going to be doing something in in the title of the song I I quite like how it's kind of uh, flipped around it's the other way around did, did I like this song? It's not, to be honest, it's not one of my favorite songs on the album. It sort of t- it takes you to the next song. And the thing with this one, it, it's a good song too. Uh, in, in the process of listening to song ones and how the band chooses to start the album, it's also pretty important what you do with song two. Uh, sometimes song two can be the best song on the album, but I find a lot of times it's just a song that sort of moves you along. And it really establishes what's going to happen with the album because you could do a lot of things with the song one and the song two lets you know really what you're getting yourself into. This one, it's funny because he names it Raped and Freezing, but the hook through the whole song is, you know, hey, I got a live one. That could have easily been the title of this song. But like you said, it looks like this is here specifically to say, yeah, you know. We're still going to shock you a little bit. And I I have a feeling that was just meant to be seen on the back of the album and for some parent to be outraged, only to find out that it was uh, the the guy who was raped in Friesen. It's it's kind of funny, and it sets up this almost show tune thing. Like we said with the first one, we have a, a couple of times. And I, you know, as much as I love this record, I'd, I'd almost forgotten or maybe just overlooked at how show tuney it can be but then we go on to track three elected this is just fantastic satire there's so much going on here it is so fun it feels a little bit like a show tune and the last line just totally makes this song for me uh what do you think about this one i don't care isn't that the last line yeah everybody's got problems and i don't care what as I say, it was the um, the double A side of the first Alice Cooper vinyl uh, that I had because like it was schools out to recognised and and then there's this song, and I think what got me about it was the horns, like the brass instruments. And hear me out on this: um, when we think of like rock and and the image of Alice Cooper, it it really is you know lock up your children and like you know it's at the end of like uh, civilization and stuff, but they've got like a very nicely arranged horn section which also just again goes back to the kind of anthemic rock opera concept thing i like this song i've I've sort of did this um because maybe the history i've got with the song but it's still i think it still stands up it's kind of sure it's kind of 70s showy rock but it's a great song in its own right really isn't it oh yeah definitely i really love this one and i love how tongue-in-cheek it is but you don't really get that until that last line that gives you a little bit of the turn but just you know the prime beef and just all the all the things going on in here and and the name of his party was going to be the wild party and he's just having a good time you can tell this was this was a band really in in full control of their power i think they're having a a a good time it sounds like they were the the songwriting process and i haven't really read much about the background i don't know if this is the case but that's how it sounds to me that this is a band that was not afraid to be a little bit funny to be a little bit silly to just be shocking for the sake of being shocking and having a great fucking time while they were doing it so I can just see them marauding through the states, playing these songs, parents gasping, and they're just laughing all the way to the bank. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the only shock thing that concerned parents could get worried about is possibly, as you say, the last line there, the politician who is singing the song says, personally, I don't care or something. So, but so, but no, no, it, it's it's a very predicting the future, which has come to us in the 21st century, although I'm sure it was around in the 70s as well. Moving on then to track four, the title track, Billion Dollar Babies. Andy, what are your thoughts on this one? When uh, Back in the day, like when I was listening to it, I thought, wow, Alice Cooper's got a really good British accent going on there. <laughs> um, it's like, because uh, that's another great thing that I think across the ponds, we're not very good at like copying each other's accents, but like, it's like, wow. And then I discovered it was the, um, the, 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 the cut price Bob Dylan Donovan, who uh, was featuring on that track. To be honest, I did a little bit of reading about this song because I think what I associate this song with is um, like a live show and Alice Cooper, the singer, like kind of, you know, ripping the head off a baby or something like that. Apparently it was about, they're, they're talking about themselves, the band, and they were just like kind of really living it up. It's a fun song though, isn't it? Um, but again, I think probably sort of uh, it, it's getting people like babies being mentioned or something. Uh, and also, you know, the lyrics again, like could be shocking. Um, but no, no, it's a fun song. I think this song just kicks ass. I love this song. This may be my favorite Alice Cooper song. And I think it really shows off what a killer band the original Alice Cooper group was. This just does, it just pushes all my buttons. This is everything you want in a, in a 70s glam rock song. And I knew that Donovan was on this track, but I still always thought that was Alice Cooper singing with, <laughs> with a British accent for some reason. And that's just, I, I like how their voices play off each other. And you had mentioned that this is, you know, they're singing about themselves, you know, the one of the many songs about being a rich rock star. But again, the way he names it and the fact that he was known to have like baby doll parts on stage as a part of his, because you know, they were really known for their theatrical uh, stage show. And there would be thing with, um, with, you know, baby dolls all decapitated or whatever. And so just, again, to see Billion Dollar Babies on the back cover, you're going to really think one thing as opposed to what the song is actually about. So then we take ourselves on to the final track of the first side, Unfinished Suite. Uh, and I think this is a pretty straightforward Alice Cooper rock song. You can hear some dentistry sound effects. There's a musical breakdown with uh, some surf rock style guitar and that's pretty cool. This is one, I think this is a fun way to finish side one. Because again, when you see unfinished suite, you don't quite know what that means. And then it's just about a, a sadistic dentist, uh, you know, right out of Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> what do you think about this one? Um, it's fun. Like, to be honest, it's, it's the longest song on the album. My one thought that I had that possibly had an effect on the uh, title of the song is sweet being a play on sweet as in s-u-i-t-e because it kind of goes on and then it, it does like from, from a musical perspective it does go in quite sort of different directions doesn't it there's quite there's um there's quite a long sort of uh, uh instrumental break there final lyric but yeah no it, it's it so in a way it does ramble on in its own charming way before we get to side two of alice cooper's billion dollar babies here on i fucking love this record uh my guest today once again is andy Hyten. he's a british fella living in Wuj, poland has been there for 
Uh, rumor has it 48 years he's been living there. That's a lie. That's a lie. I've just exaggerated a little bit. And he is uh, also dabbling with some stand-up comedy. He has been uh, the worldwide comedy's man on the ground there in Wuj. Uh, Andy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe something that you've been working on or something that you would like for them to know before we continue on with this discussion. Um, well, thanks. Um, you, you, you've covered the um, my attempt at trying to make people laugh, uh, but that comes out of several years of practicing my public speaking in a more forgiving environment. So, so I'm a member of Toastmasters where I practice my public speaking with my friends. That's taken me to various places as a result of it and also combined to uh, other things that I do. I've been involved in education, primarily language education in the in the 20 or so years that I've been living here in Poland. And that combined with the Toastmasters at one a couple of years ago, I, I was speaking live to 10,000 Chinese people through uh, WeChat, which is the Chinese kind of version of Facebook. And so that was, my, I think it was my biggest audience. Thankfully, I wasn't trying to make them laugh all at the same time. And also, most recently, I've been partnering with a company that I've been working with on and off in uh, in the past several years. And we are creating a groundbreaking language learning app, a di di disruptive. It will disrupt the whole language learning market. But I can't tell you anymore. Don't want anybody to have to die for this uh, episode. We will continue on to side two, track number six, the big hit and maybe one of his most enduring hits, No More Mr. Nice Guy. What about you, Andy? Are you a fan of this one? Yep. <laughs> Simple answer. <laughs> Next question. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very kind of rocky poppy song i think that it's the other thing isn't it well, again when you you see the image of alice cooper you wouldn't necessarily imagine this kind of rocky poppy hip but maybe again back in the day it was kind of super heavy because now it would just be something that would be playing on golden oldies or something but again i'm sure it was making people tear their hair out at, uh, in the day um, but no, it's 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 a it's a catchy song, isn't it? It definitely is, and uh, it's a, it's a terrific pop rock song. I think even for the era, you know, when this came out, there there were much heavier songs. I mean, Black Sabbath was already recording at this point. This has never been anything but a pop rock song, and it really sounds like he's having a lot of fun writing about dealing with the fallout of having such an over the top persona. Originally. He was just going to be, I think his name, his real name is Vincent Fernier, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he always said he just thought he'd always be Vinnie Fernier in the band Alice Cooper. And then he just ended up taking on this Alice Cooper persona. He has always considered that, like, the man that's on stage is not who he is. And that was a part of the stage show, is that's why Alice Cooper would die on stage every night, because that was the idea uh, he's born and then he dies on stage every night. And in real life, he is I think even now. I, I don't know how much he was back then, but now he is. Uh, he's a, he's a Christian and he actually has an issue with certain bands because they are not. And it's a little a little bit disappointing from my perspective. But I guess he's trying to walk it like he talks it. And that's where this album, this song comes from. I think just dealing with the fallout of people not understanding that's a stage creation. And Alice Cooper was one of those guys you would hear rumors about things that happened on stage. It was, you know, I remember crazy stories about Alice Cooper. And the only other person I remember hearing so much about was Prince back in the mid 80s, 
where oh every night there was something super weird going on stage when and this was before I was going to concerts and so it really felt like those oh those things could happen then you go to a concert like oh no this is just a show <laughs> and they're gonna go do this again and they're not doing all the weird things people keep thinking they're doing and I think he's just having a, a fun time with that and that's what I get out of this one and I think that's why it's such an enduring hit because it comes from this really legitimate and funny place can I tell an Alice Cooper anecdote please Derek yes please do Thank you. Yeah, but I'm British, but I'm also Canadian, although you can't really tell from my accent because my mum grew up in Canada. And uh, so my aunt from London, Ontario, her friend had a motel way back when, probably before this album came out. And Alice Cooper band was staying at the motel. I guess they were playing London, Ontario. And so, you know, they were like the, the rock stars from like uh, over from Detroit. So my aunt went to say hello to them and they were all super nice totally normal people they weren't kind of crazy like kind of Ozzy Osbourne Motley Crue type <laughs> they were very sort of pleasant people just sort of chilling out in the hotel I think you're 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 just you, you hit the nail on the head there and um, it's very much a stage persona rather than crazy rock and roll 24-hour party people lifestyle I think he has a, a very public issue with alcohol, but he was never he like you said he was never the the motley crew running naked throwing TVs out the thing. He was just getting drunk and I mean if you see appearances of Alice Cooper on like the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, he's got a can of Budweiser with him. Yeah, so that's it, it was a different time, different era. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on here to track seven, Generation Landslide, and this for me seems like the first time they seem to be singing directly about current events this is the only time it feels like they're really plugged into what's going on uh it's got the acoustics uh, style guitar and it really seems to be uh, talking about the fallout of the protests about the vietnam war uh, i think the the war would have just ended when this album came out it, but it doesn't feel put on you know it doesn't feel like uh, they were checking a box it was like okay well we need to have the one topical song and i'll give my theory as to why this song is on on this side of the album in a little bit at the end when i do our final thoughts uh but what are your thoughts on this song it was uh i what i was thinking about this is is it is it's, it's about somebody else isn't it like sort of thinking about the lyrical content and i don't know it's it's not one of my favorite songs on the album yeah maybe you're right it's kind of a little bit serious or something so I, to, to be honest, I haven't got a huge amount to say about the song. Like, but I guess it, it's the last serious song on the album. How about that? Yeah, uh, and and maybe the first. <laughs> okay. uh -huh. I, I think it's really the only serious song on the album. Let's go ahead and just move on then to track eight, Sick Things. What do you think about this one? This is definitely the one where the parents would be looking at the back of the album and say, "Oh my God, what put that song on?" Let me hear that. So I, I can't I can't even imagine what that's going to be. And uh, throughout the song, it kind of like lives up to uh, its title's reputation, really, doesn't it? Creepy, horror-y thing. And again, it's um, sort of like great opportunity. I, to be honest, I was trying to work out what those sick things might be. And I was having absolutely disgusting thoughts. So good, good job. The Funny thing is the sick things are, are us. And I think the song is a little bit plotting. I, don't, I think in his because he's, again, singing from a specific persona, that of the megalomaniacal dictator or, or cult leader, something like that. 
And when he's talking about the sick things, those are his followers. I think the music just doesn't have a lot of direction. I love the lyrical work, and I, I, I like that he is really going full steam with this particular point of view. Uh, it's got some great 70s rock guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got the horn section. And I like how the track finishes, and I like how it leads into the next song. Uh, other than that, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. I do like it, but if I'm going to skip anything, it's going to be this one. And also, I'll give you an alternative interpretation. I reckon you're sure of like maybe the so okay the the sick things of people, but I mean they could be anything. Like I was I was going through like <laughs> the song, trying to work out if it could be a song about bogies or boogers, and <laughs> it works as well. It could be people or it could be boogers. I hadn't really thought about it that way. So so as I said, this one leads right into uh, – it has that little bit of an explosion sound, and then it leads into Marianne, which is a beautiful, slightly ambiguous little piano ballad right here towards the end. Uh, I, I like the line at the end. It says, I thought you were my man. I know that this song was written for a social crusader who tried to have Schools Out banned. And her name was Marianne. I don't remember what her last name was. They're taking shots at her. <laughs> and it's funny because it's just a, it's a pretty little song. And I have a friend named Marianne, and I post this song on her uh, Facebook page every year for her birthday. Nice. Is she a transvestite? Uh, she is not. Uh, she's, but she still appreciates that, that. There's like two people that I do this for. She's one of them. So uh, uh, what about you? What do you think about Marianne? Sure. It's kind of a departure, really, isn't it, from the rest of the album? And again, the length, it's a very it's possibly the shortest song off the top of my head. Sure, like a little bit of piano. It's it, it it's kind of a break between the the super weird songs at the end. You know what I mean? Chucked in there between the sick things and and I love the dead. It's just like to kind of change the mood a little, like uh, sort of as you say, like a little bit of piano-y, ballady stuff before we get back to the upsetting parents stuff. Also, I wonder if it's the song that the kids can play to the parents and say, look, you know, there's nice music there. Look, and they say, oh, this is the kind of music. Oh, I like this song. They don't bother listening to the lyrics. So they're, as you say, it's an ambiguous song. So the parents like, haha, they like the song about the transvestite or whatever like the ambiguity there in the lyrics could be little uh you know sneaking it in there see like oh they're not all bad see this pretty little piano ballad so then that sets us up for the uh, final track track 10 the shockingly titled i love the dead andy tell me what do you got well as, as a as a lover of the dead so like, this is right down my street it's shock rock was that a phrase that was used at the time or it turned up a little bit later it's trying to upset people i'm i'm, I'm thinking about the lyrics the song Sure, like I think you can't that the, the song doesn't exist without the lyrics, um, and he does repeat quite a lot that he loves the dead. But I think it's it's a great excuse for the stage show that I guess was developing at that time. Yeah, I'm sure this was a, a central part of that. It's slinky and creepy and funny and unsettling this ode to necrophilia and it ends an album that's certainly trying to push some buttons what i like about this one is that if you look at let's say raped and Friesen, as we talked about that's a little bit of misdirection uh he's the one that's been raped and is freezing or if you take a look at sick things the sick things aren't him or what you know it's those are his followers and so when you see i love the dead you're like okay what's the twist like, oh, no, no twist. <laughs> this is about necrophilia. It's like, oh, oh okay. Uh, and it's 
unflinching. You know, he it's gross while still having the music be a little bit sexy in the background. It's uh, I think just such a fantastic way to end this album, uh, especially the side of the album. So what are your final thoughts here, Andy? About the whole album, I read somewhere that this album is like in the live shows. It's got it's one of the biggest sort of hitting out like the, the, the number of songs that they play from this album has like sort of consistently been one of the highest, you know, like sort of as as the repertoire of Alice Cooper bands and Alice Cooper, the solo performer, let's say, has 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 continued. I'm just wondering, I mean, like it's kind of the, a genesis of their whole act, really, isn't it? Because you've got like the songs there, you've got these these the, this I love the dead which um is a great opportunity to be like guillotining yourself doing lots of weird stuff and there's the billion dollar babies despite its lyrical content the opportunity to pull dolls apart and things like that and and also like the the vibe I get from the whole thing it kind of it predates uh, the rocky horror picture show uh, and the rocky horror show from from by several years but i can see to be honest i, I get a lot of um I wonder how much Richard O'Brien was like uh, uh, influenced by this album specifically when he was thinking up the Rocky Horror Show. To be honest, uh, yeah, that I hadn't thought about it that way, but it does, especially side one. You don't get it quite as much in side two, but uh, side one has a lot of this show tune feel to it. And for my final thoughts, it's like I think side one is great, especially the title track. It's again maybe my favorite song uh, by Alice Cooper. But what I love is that all of side two seems to be going out of its way to provoke and each in its own way. And we get some of that obviously in side one, as we talked about, but I love if you look at the the tracks on side two, you know, we start off with, even though this was the pop hit, it's got a line about a man being punched in the face by a reverend, you know, generation landslide is taking on the war in Vietnam. Sick things is written from the perspective of a, of a megalomaniacal leader. Marianne is a go at a social critic of the band and then it finishes with straight up necrophilia. I mean, I think that's just fan fucking tastic. Like each song on that on that side looks like it's designed with precision to piss somebody off. Oh yeah, yeah. I should have said that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much like what, is, what have we got? We got rape, like necrophilia. I don't know, like violence. Uh, we got any murder going on in the whole album? I can't remember if there's any murder happening specifically, but it's like it's all the things really. It, it's like kind of to piss off your parents, really, isn't it? Definitely, and they did a, a good job of that. And you can see they a lot of their work is even just in the song titles. That brings us here to the end of the show. Once again, Andy, I would like to thank you for coming uh, onto the show. Uh, is there any way that if the listeners, somebody in Wooj wants to get in touch through? For something like if they want to find out more uh, about this groundbreaking app, if they want lessons, if they want to get involved in Toastmasters, are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Is there any way people can find you or would you rather be left alone? Well, I'm kind of like the A-team, so I sort of turn up when I'm needed. But (laughs) uh, but, uh, I think probably it's not very difficult using the sort of modern digital technology to track me down via social media. If you know where I live and you know my name, you can find me. Terrific. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show and talk about Well, an album that uh, I fucking love. So this has been I Fucking Love This Record. Uh, If you have not done so, I would encourage you to find me on Twitter at Love This Record. And if you are more of a Facebook person, uh, just look for uh, Love This Record there as well. I have been your host, the Derek Care of You. 
saying goodbye and talk to you next time. Right. Thanks a lot, Derek. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.